And Father, I pray in Jesus' name right now that you would give us good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives. Lord, I pray that you would anoint our eyes to see and ears to hear and give us um, hearts and minds that are open and receptive and humble and teachable. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me powerfully, Holy Spirit, the words of life, seeds of truth that will be sown into good fertile soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, and bring forth a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. Lord, that your word would become a part of who we are, burned into us. Lord, I pray that you would take what is of this place, of this house, Lord, that you would multiply and fill the earth. And Lord, use it in a mighty way to help disciple the nations and prepare those out there that are called to do something for your kingdom. Lord, I bless those here in Jesus' name and those that will be listening, that you'll be good fertile soil and receive all that God has for you in Jesus' name. And we bind the enemy away from this word that you will not touch it and you will not try to hinder or steal it. And Holy Spirit, come have your way. Fill every one of us. Fill those listening. Give us eyes and ears of the Spirit. Anoint our eyes to see. And lock us into what you're saying, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would help us get focused and give you our best ear and full attention. And that we'll be locked in and receive everything that you want us to. And I pray, Heavenly Father, let everything be accomplished in and through this word that your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm getting into the word on a holy visitation part two. If you want to turn in your Bible, that's fine to First uh, Thessalonians 5.23, but if not, you don't have to turn there. First Thessalonians 5.23, I'll get it right. It says, May the God of peace sanctify you through and through your spirit, soul, and body be kept pure and blameless to the coming of the Lord. Just for a moment, I want to talk spirit, soul, and body because God wants us to understand some things because of the warfare that comes against us. How many knows that the devil has had 6,000 years to study humanity and to study strengths and weaknesses and how to attack people? The more of a threat you are, the more attack of the devil is going to come your way as the enemy tries to stop you and hinder you. And we've talked about other things I'm not going to get into about... Uh, generational things, stuff from your past, and, and going through deliverance and all that. That's all important. But one of the things, whether if, even if you've been through deliverance, the enemy still attacks people in the body, soul, and spirit area. And I want you to understand it. Your body is your outer shell, and it's where the sinful nature dwells. I'm not going to stay on this long, but you need to hear this. Your body, you, it connects to the natural realm where you see with your natural eyes and hear with your natural ears. Okay, it has to do with touch. It has to do with the senses. Your soul is the part of you, okay, that has your memory, your mind, your imagination, your will, your emotions. It's a part of you. It's like a computer. It's like a computer that receives data and processes information. It's also where your personality is. And then your spirit, your inner man, is the part of you where God's nature dwells, as a Christian anyway. And that's the part of you that communes with God. That's the part of you that speaks in tongues. That's the part of you where the gifts of the Spirit resonate and where the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, from your belly will flow rivers of living water. It's talking about this. It's from your inner man will flow rivers, okay? So 
the enemy, I'm, I'm not going to talk so much about the body, because the enemy does attack the body with health problems and fatigue, things like that. And the devil will attack the human spirit, where it's difficult to pray and read the Bible and grow spiritually, things like that. But the main place where the devil attacks people is in the soul. And this has to do with your thought life and your emotions, primarily. Okay? And I've already done a lot of teaching on the mind and mental strongholds, so I'm not going to go back into that very much at all. But the way you were raised, what you were told, the teachers you had growing up, the churches you've been to, the friends you've had, all of that has a lot to do with the way you think about things. And if you're... If you're thought process and the way you reason and, and the, your intellect, if all that goes against the word of God in any way, then that's called a mental stronghold. And that's how the devil manipulates a lot of people is by wrong belief systems in their mind. And it's, it can be also somewhat territorial because the way you, where you grow up geographically has a lot to do with this too. And I can't dwell on it because I need to get to the emotions. But it, it can be a number of things. It can be anything, really. But, for example, like a, like a mental, um, like a poverty mentality would be the way I'd word it. Some people grow up in poverty and they grow up around people like that and they have a poverty mentality. They always expect something to break and something to go wrong. And they never expect to have anything. And their mind is set that way. And so because that's the way they believe, that's what they end up with in life, you know. And God has to break down, help break down those strongholds and renew your mind with what the Bible actually says because it certainly does not say that's for Christians. It's a curse under the law like we talked about. And so you have to renew your thinking, and then you can start believing God for things, you see. But anyway, I can't get on that too much. If you want to do a study on that, it's on our website. But there's a picture in here I want you to see, just real quickly, that has to do with the body, soul, and spirit. Hopefully everybody has. All right. I don't know if you all have the one I'm talking about with the castle, but that particular picture, that particular picture shows you that black area is like real estate. I can't dwell on this, so please hear me, and I'm going to get off this quickly. But that black area is like real estate. If you go and you purchase real estate, it's your property. Okay, and you begin to build on it. And that's the way the devil works in people's lives. When you start thinking in a way that is unscriptural, and you start believing lies of the enemy, things that were told to you, things that the devil's told your mind, or people's told you, or things you just came up with that's unscriptural, you start believing that way, then it's like the enemy starts purchasing real estate in your thoughts. And it's like this black. It's like a defilement. And then, bit by bit, the enemy starts building up a, what's called a stronghold. And pretty soon, it's not just a matter of a little lie. It's something that controls the person. Are you hearing me? It's like a puppet master that stands overhead, and there's strings that are attached. And when they move to the right, your life goes that direction. And when they move back to the left, your life turns that direction. Something is manipulating your life, and it's manipulating you through your mind, the way you think. You may not even realize it's going on. But because you believe something that's not true, the enemy can kind of push on that, and you'll, out of that deception or that lie, your life will go that direction. 
And so the Bible says to pull down these strongholds and these high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, which is his word. And as you learn the word, the knowledge of God, you begin to pull down these old strongholds and you start thinking properly in connection to the word of God. But the main thing I want to get to, and I need to do this quickly, is emotions. This is another big area that Satan attacks people. Now listen to me. This is important. You can die to the flesh every day, and you're going to have to learn about this if you're going to be in revival. Okay? Because you're going to come under some warfare that other people that are not in revival won't. Number one, we've got to die every day to our flesh. And the main way you can do that is to get up and spend time with the Lord. Because as you're praying and you're, you're in the Word, what's happening is, is your flesh is dying and, you, and you're getting filled up with the Holy Spirit and you're walking in the Spirit throughout the day. And that, and that time you spend with the Lord in the morning, you're praying over yourself and your family and you're covering your day in prayer and you've had fellowship with the Lord and you come out of that and it makes the world a difference in your whole day. When you don't pray, it's kind of come what may. But when you pray over your day, you can go in faith that your day's covered. And the steps of a righteous man are ordered, and God will guide you. The second thing is, is you've got to maintain staying in the Word and in prayer for your own spiritual strength. And the third thing is, is you're going to have to learn to renew your mind and have disciplined emotions. See, a, a strong soul is a disciplined soul. And some of you, this is really going to help you, because I promise you've probably never heard this in your life. A strong soul is a disciplined soul. You can't control everything that goes into your head because some things are, are shot there like darts from, the, from demons, okay? That's just the way it is. Paul said, and we'll get into this later, he talked about putting on the full armor of God and putting up your shield to block the fiery darts of the enemy, okay? So faith, you've got to have that. But the enemy tries to shoot those darts into your mind. If you've ever watched those old westerns where they light the, the arrow on fire and shoot it, when the arrow hits, if you don't extinguish it, it's going to catch everything on fire. And if, when the devil shoots thoughts into your head, if you don't extinguish it, it'll start spreading. The way you extinguish it is, is you renew your mind. The way you renew your mind, Romans 12, you throw out what you're not supposed to be thinking about. And you think on something else. Philippians, Paul talked about it. He said, think on these things. Things are of good report. And, you know. and we've got to do that. If you've got, you can't control everything that goes through your mind. So don't get down just because something shoots into your mind. That, that might be straight from a demon, okay? Just, just dismiss it. God doesn't tell you that if you have something shoot into your mind, you've sinned. He says, don't entertain it. That's where you get into sin. Something comes into your mind that's not supposed to be there. You have a choice every time. You can entertain that or you can throw it out. When you start entertaining it is when you start moving into sin. And it can lead to problems. No adulterous affair ever happened. Just just happened. It was entertained. In somebody's mind, they thought about it, they entertained it, and then, as the Bible says, as you think you are, pretty soon they acted out what they'd already done in their mind anyway. You hear me? All right, the emotions can be very manipulated by the enemy. When somebody's under an oppression, I mean, you can feel... Depressed and discouraged, one minute, joyful the next. You can feel angry for no reason or fearful. And the enemy tries to manipulate your emotions. But I'm going to tell you, you need to hear me. An undisciplined soul is a weak soul that the enemy 
It's like clay in the enemy's hands that he can manipulate. If you just let your emotions go, you're going to have a lot of problems. Some people are up one minute and down the next because they've never learned this. And there's strongholds in people's lives emotionally. And let me explain. Some people, not everybody, but some people, their whole life they always medicated their problems. Throughout their sinful life, they couldn't deal with reality. And so they would take drugs, whether legal or illegal, and they would, take, they would drink alcohol. And they would do this to get in an altered state in their mind where they didn't have to deal with reality. And they've never had to have a strong soul because they could escape through those things. And so they've never disciplined their soul. See, when you start lifting weights, and, and some of you know this or working out, at first it hurts if you're out of shape. And whenever you start disciplining your soul, if you've never done it, it's going to hurt at first. It's going to feel like, what is the deal? Why is this hard? It's because you've never done it. But the more you work out, the more it's just like building a muscle, the stronger you get in your soul. Now, I'm going to assure you, listen to me. This is an area where, where the enemy can torment people if they don't hear what I'm saying. God does not want us up and down. The devil can knock you out of commission where you're useless to God if you let him do it. Some people, they get so hit that next thing you know, they can't even do anything productive for God. Because they're often some depression or they're often, they're angry and got their feelings hurt about nothing. Or you know what I'm saying? They're just emotionally. And some people, when they come under attack of the enemy, get overly sensitive. You just look at them and they're crying for no reason. And they're upset with you and you're going, what's your problem, you know? And they're just emotional. But you need to recognize that it's the enemy at work, and you've got to bind it. You can't just – listen, if the enemy is coming against you and you ignore it, it's just going to get worse. And if you try to blame it on everything else, that's a problem in America, blaming it on anything else but that. And we need some discernment where we understand that the enemy's at work and he's trying to come against people's thoughts and come against your emotions. And don't let him do it. Now, we can take authority and bind the enemy and command it to go in Jesus' name, but we've got to learn to have discipline in these areas. Where there used to be anger, now there's got to be self-control where we're not losing our temper. Where there used to be moodiness, you never knew what mood you're going to be in day after day. You're going to be happy one minute, moody the next. We've got to get even about that and get it under control and discipline. Where we used to be joyful on cloud nine one day just to turn around the next day and be in a deep, dark depression, that's got to go. And you can't blame all this on the devil because most of it has to do with us disciplining our soul. We can rebuke the enemy. We have authority to do that. If you feel like something's oppressing, take authority. And then discipline yourself. That I'm not going to let the devil get me lose my temper. I'm not going to let this thing get me off in depression. I'm not going to let this thing get me offended with my brother and all of a sudden there being this problem. But I'm going to have discipline in my life. And people want to blame the enemy, but a lot of times what it is is that when you surrender these things over to the enemy, that's when they can start coming in and really causing some problems. If you, surrender, if you, if you start to get angry and you shouldn't, and you go into losing your temper, you're surrendering that right there to the enemy. And next thing you know, there's going to be things said and done that you regret because you surrendered that to the enemy. 
If you allow fear, if you allow um, lust or something like that, if you surrender that and you go start going that direction, next thing you know, there's going to be a lot of regrets. Make sure and start dealing with this. Many people have a passive soul that they've never really disciplined themselves. The enemy is threatened by somebody that cannot be manipulated in this way. One of the things that marked Catherine Kuhlman's life, they said, was she just was happy and peaceful all the time. And people around her said they never saw her upset. How could such a thing happen? I imagine over the years she began to learn some of this. But you to remain a life walking in joy. And what does the Bible say? Romans 16.20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. One of the greatest ways to walk in victory over Satan is to be peaceful. That's why I told some people not that long ago, some people here, I said, if you'll remain calm during the storm, it'll blow over. Just stay peaceful. And see, because you remained in peace, the God of peace crushes, crushed Satan under your feet. But if you would have acted out of fear and panic, you probably would have done some things that later you would say, I wish I hadn't done that. You see what I'm saying? Another thing is joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The Lord wants us to walk in peace and joy. And we can do this, all right? Well, it's not always an inner healing issue, and it's certainly not always a deliverance issue. This is something everybody faces and that you've got to deal with, and you've got to take ownership and say, look, I've had an undisciplined soul. I've allowed my emotions to get the best of me, and I'm going to stop doing that now. I'm going to start disciplining myself where my emotions are even kill every day. You know what I'm saying by that? Where you're just going through the day and you're not moody. You're not back and forth, up and down. You're just, it's just a smooth life of peace and joy in the Lord. All right. And these are some things that are going to help you during revival. Let me tell you, you need to learn the difference between the burden of the Lord and the oppression of the enemy. When the Holy Spirit puts a burden on you, you'll begin to pray, and you'll feel the Holy Spirit. You'll begin to pray about it, and then it'll lift, and it's a good thing. But when the enemy starts putting an oppression on you and trying to pretend it's from the Lord, when you pray about it, you won't get that. It won't lift, and it'll be a heaviness that tries to remain. If you sense that, and your countenance begins to get down, and you feel a heaviness and a difficulty praying that is from the devil, and you need to break that off you and command it to go. I'm trying to help you with some things that the enemy tries to counterfeit and come in during revival. Okay? Rick Joyner saw a prophetic vision about revival I thought was really interesting. He saw a man. It's not on there. I'm just going to tell you the story. He saw a man that was uh, working out, and he was going to go out surfing, and he, he was really, like, doing steroids or something but this guy was was huge massive but he said truthfully when he saw the guy on the beach the guy was out there showing off his body but he said it looked really grotesque it looked unnatural because things were just you know out of proportion and he said that the guy was out there showing off and he had his surfboard and the board wasn't even big enough to be able to handle what was coming and he was waiting for the wave to ride and the wave that he was waiting on crept up on him and he realized it too late he tried to get out there. The board he had was too small anyway. And the wave actually hit him and put him in the hospital. He was slammed over and over. His board broke. 
And he got on the beach, and he was in the hospital, and he was looking out the window at the ocean. This is a vision that he had. And the man was looking out the window thinking to himself, the next time, that won't happen again. And there was a resolve that came in him. So when he got out of the hospital, he began to work out more naturally. When he got back on the beach, it was more natural physical fitness, and he was actually strong. And he had a board that was big enough, and this time he was really humble. He wasn't showing off anymore. He was humble, and he was looking for the wave to break. And whenever he saw the wave, which represents revival, he swam out to meet it, got on the board, and rode the wave. Okay. So here's some things about that prophetic vision. Number one, we have to be adequately trained and in shape. How did King David prepare himself for his destiny? He was out in the pastures, remember, worshiping God, praying, spending time with the Lord, and that was all a preparation for his destiny. And he was out there by himself. I mean, nobody probably even really knew David or knew much about him. He would have been the least, the least of his brothers. And he was out there in the fields. They always stuck him out doing the job nobody else wanted to do. And so he was out there in the fields, but God... Out of all the people in Israel, millions of people, God, God said about David, he has a, he's a man after my own heart, and knew where he was and knew him in that field, and went to Samuel the prophet, who Samuel, if, you, if Samuel showed up, that was a big deal. I mean, people were kind of scared and like, well, what are you doing here? Are you, do you come in peace? Is God going to strike us with lightning, you know? Are we all going to die today? And, you know, when Samuel showed up, everybody was like, the man of God's here, you know? And Samuel, God spoke to him to go to Bethlehem, and God connected him with David of all people. For you to be adequately trained and in shape, you've got to be like David in that respect and spend time in prayer and in the word and prepare yourself spiritually for what God has for you. And this comes with a disciplined soul. Nobody can do this for you. And you're not going to be able to blame God or blame somebody else when one day you're you're thrust into what God's called you to do and there's a shallowness there because you didn't spend the time in preparation. And I hate to say this because it's going to sound mean, but there's a lot of ministries out there that it's kind of shallow. They're on the milk of the word. There's not a lot happening. You understand what I'm saying? It, it's, it's, Jesus talked about 30, 60, and 100-fold. They're kind of at a 30-fold level. But if you'll really spend time with the Lord and you'll get to know the Holy Spirit, you'll learn how to have a powerful prayer life, and you'll learn the word for yourself and get off the milk and on the meat of the word and learn how to move with the Holy Spirit in ministry, then that you can become 60 and even 100-fold. And there'll be a depth to your ministry. You hear what I'm saying? And this is important because God's going to require of you one day something. You remember whenever Jesus talked about, in, in John 15, he talked about the, the vine and the vine dresser and all that. You know, God has planted you. And he's going to come one day, and when he shows up, he wants fruit. Amen? He wants to find fruit on you and me. And the fruit in regards to ministry, plants your ministry, he's got a call on you. But the fruit is, is seeing people's lives change, seeing people get right with God, being healed, delivered, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and disciple and taught the Word. Another thing that you're going to have to do is make sure that the board, the surfboard, represented the ministry. Make sure that you have the right ministry that's ready for revival. From day one, whenever we started this ministry, 
not even knowing that it would be a church of any kind at all. It was just a street evangelism ministry and a revival ministry. And when God started this thing, from day one, it was always I wanted to have a ready a, a wineskin that was ready for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And any time, and believe me, the devil tried to bring some things to try to stop that. But you can ask my wife and people that's been with me, I always protected that. You know, there would be certain people that come in and all that or, or whatever. And we always protected the move of God. I'm going to tell you, if you protect the anointing, the anointing will protect you. If you protect God's house and protect, you know, what God's doing, the move of God, that same move of God will protect you and defend you. But sometimes I didn't even have to get on to somebody that was trouble. They would just up and disappear. See, whenever you protect God's house, he'll turn around and take care of it. Because how many knows Jesus is the king? You know, well, I mean, somebody may be a pastor, but it's Jesus' house. And, you know, he may be away right now interceding for us, okay, and he puts people in charge, but he's still in control. And if he wants to deal with something, he'll deal with it. But I believe he's coming soon. And I'm going to tell you, next month I'm going to be dealing with the end times, so don't miss. Another thing is, so make sure your ministry is ready to house the move of God. Make sure your ministry is ready to ride the wave. Because let me tell you, revival, when it shows up, it'll be a blessing to some people. Some people will ride the wave, but other people, it'll hospitalize their ministry. It'll ruin their ministry. Because they've built their ministry on showing off and on other things, you know, that has to do with uh, charismatic personalities. You know, it's like it's like an American Idol sometimes in some churches, you know. And then, and then God shows up, and he just slaps the fire out of that stuff. And next thing you know, all these people, you know, are leaving and going where God's moving. And they realize, well, here we are. We've been just having, you know, some kind of concert, and we've just been having this, and it's just been all about having fun and, and feeling the good about myself and, motivational speeches and God will come in and just knock the fire right out of that and people go flying everywhere trying to find the Lord where's the Lord moving where's the real voice of the Lord where's God actually really speaking where can I go and get a touch from God where can I know if I go there and I have a need it'll be met you see these things are going to come up in these end times Another thing is be properly positioned for the revival. Just like right now, you've got to know beyond yourself. One of the things I've, I've stressed to younger ministers is you've got to get outside of your little box, okay, and look at the body of Christ worldwide. But some people, bless their heart, they are locked into their local church and just their denomination, and that's it. That's all they see. It's like the horse that has the blinders. They, they can only see so much. And then the first thing I do when I spend time with them is I, I deliberately try to get things into their hands that are bigger than that. I'm like, you need to look at what God's doing all over the world. Did you know God's pouring out his spirit in different places, in Africa and over here? And there's, there's a revival going on down in Alabama right now. Do you even know about it? Do you even know what God's doing? And I try to get people outside of their box and start thinking about the bigger picture. You see, the wave that was coming, he had to discern that wave and see it and say, okay, I'm going to get out there and ride it. You've got to find out what is God doing. 
Because it's not all about little me and little you. And if we have humility, we'll look at the big picture and say, God, what are you doing in America? Where are you pouring out your spirit? What is your plan? I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to get in the flow of what you're doing. See, a lot of people want God. They're like, God, bless me. Bless what I'm doing. Bless this. If you'll find out what God is doing and connect with it, it'll be blessed. You hear what I'm saying? Find the wave of the Holy Spirit and connect with it. Quit trying to to get God just to send you your own private wave. It may come, but it may not. Find the wave. And right now, the wave, in my, you know, for the last several years since, since the Brownsville Revival, there's been different hot spots where God has moved, but I never felt a significance like I did at Brownsville. I mean, I knew that they were good, and I honored them, and I honored them, and I connected to get an impartation. I honored them, and I submitted myself. Because anytime God moves, it's important. You know what I mean? Hello? God's moving. You know? And so, you know, I honored it, but I didn't feel anything. But when this Bay of the Holy Spirit broke out, I knew as soon as I heard about it, I knew this is significant. This is significant on a national and probably an international level. But see, you've got to have an element of discernment about you where you can smell the rain. You know? I remember one time I went to minister at a church. And um, I'll never forget this. I was really interceding. And uh, actually, it was, it was there with you that second time when I was there. But I was interceding, and I, I literally smelt the fresh rain. And from the moment that happened, I knew that God was about to start pouring out His Spirit. And I came, and that was that night that all those people got baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were hit by the power. But it was like from that moment till the time I left, God began pouring out His Spirit. But see... We've got to catch the wave and ride what God's doing. So we've got to position ourselves and find out what God's doing. See, the arrogant won't humble themselves and go to a move of God. They think everybody needs to come have me pray for them. Well, that's real humble, isn't it? You know, but a humble person will be like, Lord, you know, I don't have a monopoly on the move of your spirit. Okay, it's not all about me. It's not all about my ministry and my church. What are you doing? And I want to be a part of it. And that's why I've I've really humbled myself. I've been excited about the revival and going down there next week just to get a fresh touch, you know. I'm going to tell you, since since that revival broke out and since I've honored it, and we obviously Brother Tommy went down on our behalf and came back, what has happened? There's been an increase, a significant increase, because we have caught the wave and now we're riding the wave. And there's going to be future waves, just like the tabernacle, the cloud would lift. And wherever the cloud went, the tabernacle, those people had to follow the cloud. The cloud speaks to God's glory. God's going to keep moving. He's going to keep moving in a new and a fresh way, in a different way. Every move of God is a little bit different. And you've got to keep moving with the Lord, discerning what he's doing and moving with him. Is the second you stop moving with God is going to be the second that... Can you imagine the children of Israel, and they're all following the cloud? And some goofy guy decides, I'm not going to keep following the cloud. He's going to get left in the dust out in the desert by himself. Everybody else is going to be moving on. 
In a spiritual sense, it's the same thing. Anytime you stop following the cloud, you're going to get left in the desert. And I'm going to tell you right now, unfortunately, there's a lot of clouds. I mean, there's a lot of churches out there that, that have stopped following the cloud a long time ago. And they're out in the wilderness. And it grieves me because God has so much more for them. But we've got to be watching so that we can, at the proper time, start moving in the right direction with the wave, which is what I've been doing. I'm trying to. I'm only saying this for one reason, is I'm trying to set an example for you younger ministers. And normally I wouldn't even tell you this, but I feel led to tell you so that you will do this yourself later. That's the only reason why I'm sharing this about what I'm doing with this revival right now. God has been pouring out his spirit in this ministry for a long time. There's been people healed, delivered. All of that. It's been wonderful. You know, and some people could say, oh, well, you know, it's good. Hey, you know, but if we'll be humble and hungry, then we'll keep moving with the cloud. And I have kept my eyes open for whatever God wants to do. And if he's moving somewhere, I want to somehow in the spiritual sense, I want to honor the move of God and go catch that anointing. And I want to help ride that wave. You hear what I'm saying? This revival will last a period of time. I don't know how long. And then there's going to be other moves of God. But I want to be like that every time. I want to be humble and get in connection with what God's doing. But the thing is that many people get stuck in a rut and they never really move into what God has for them. Another thing is be ready to act without hesitation when the wave breaks and get up on the board and ride the wave. You guys can look over those things and pray about them yourself. But let me give you some revival warnings, okay? I'm going to close with this. I'm going to give you some things in Scripture that are warnings about revival, okay? Everybody hear this because some of you are called the pastor. A pastor, the Bible calls the church, calls them sheep, but calls the pastor a shepherd. Now look at the natural. The shepherd stands up on two legs and can see further than the sheep, meaning that he should, anyway, be able to see danger coming. The shepherd also has a staff and a rod. The staff was to help keep the sheep in line, where if, they, if one of them wandered off, he could reach out and pull them back in. The rod was meant to protect them. It has to do with authority. If a wolf showed up, something showed up, then they would have this rod that they could, you know, for lack of a better phrase, beat the fire out of it and make it run off, okay? So, and sometimes those rods, I've heard that they would drive something like a nail and stuff through it. I mean, these, these were something that would do damage to a predator if it showed up, okay? And so, God wants the shepherd to be able to have a rod to protect. And I'm coming to you in that way because I feel like that as revival continues and perpetuates, that the enemy is going to show up in different ways. And maybe in some old ways, but intensified. And that's why I'm telling you, you better have a disciplined soul now. You better have a strong prayer life now. You better learn the word for yourself now. Okay? And don't just depend on the pastor, but you do it. You get after it. So here's some things, revival warnings. Also, sheep many times regurgitate their food when the shepherd's absent. 
But it's a relationship that God has put together. Okay? But in Revelation 12, 1, if you want to turn there, that's fine. I can read it to you. Revelation 12, 1. I don't want to get into what this is prophetically because I do understand all that about Israel and the child. Israel's a woman, the child is Jesus. I understand that. But here's the thing I want to focus on. Revelation 12, 1, it says, A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and with the moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant, cried out in pain. She was about to give birth. And listen to verse 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. He swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child. Now let me tell you something. This is just, I'm making this point here. There's a lot to this I'm not going to get into. The only point I want to make is, is that the devil attacks things at an infancy state. He attacked the child right at birth. See, when think if you if you were to go out, okay, let's take this for example. If you ever watch Animal Planet or whatever, you know, which I do sometimes, and you see like the cheetah or whatever, you know, what do they do? They go out, there's the antelope, and they're all together. They pick off the little guy. You know, the rest of them start running, and he's lagging behind, and, you know, he's cheetah food. And, and that's what the devil tries to do. He tries to get things at an infancy stage because it's vulnerable. How many knows a little baby is more vulnerable than a grown man? All right, so the same thing applies when God starts moving and something's at an infancy stage, like a revival is at an infancy stage. That's when it's most vulnerable. And that's when the enemy wants to show up and try to destroy it. You hear what I'm saying? So I'm going to give you a few things real quick. I'm going to move through these quickly. But I want everybody to please get this sermon. There will come a point in time when you're going to want to go back over this sermon. Keep these notes. But here's some things that the devil will try to do against a move of God. And how many knows this war is real? And the devil isn't playing games. I'm going to tell you, one of the things before I get into this that's always annoyed me is I would hear sometimes people talk, and I knew knew that they didn't have a clue about spiritual warfare. Because they'll sit there and talk about Satan and his kingdom like they're a bunch of idiots. And they'll talk about them like they completely have no power, no nothing, just ignore them. Let me tell you, first off, the enemy does have intelligence. And secondly, there is limited power. But we are more than overcomers and greater than is he that's in us. Okay, so don't underestimate the enemy. That's how you get into trouble. When I hear people talking like that, I'm thinking they don't have a clue about spiritual warfare at all. They're underestimating him, and they're probably going to regret it one day. Number one tactic of the enemy is division. This is the most important thing to to Satan's kingdom, if he can divide. Jesus said a kingdom divided can't stand. The greatest attack of Satan is division. His greatest goal is divide and conquer. I promise you every demon that walks around the earth that has been told divide and conquer. Divide Christians, divide churches, divide households. Turn husband against wife. Turn child against parent. Turn the people against the pastor. Split the church. That's the tactic of every demon 
that's wandering around right now. One of them. In one form or another, their goal is to divide. Okay, we've got to discern this and understand God wants us to be walking in love and forgiveness and be mature, whereas if somebody in the body of Christ has, has done something to us, we need to go to them and talk to them and work it out and walk in forgiveness and understand, hey, you know what, maybe they're going through something. Maybe the reason why they're acting out like that is because they've been really going through something in their life and try to give people the benefit of the doubt. You hear what I'm saying? Sometimes we're too sensitive. And we should really give people a benefit of the doubt. And I'm going to tell you one of the things about this. I, actually, one of the sermons I'm going to preach on the end times is the accuser of the brethren. And I'm really going to talk about that next month. But one of the things that Satan wants to do, if the devil can get your mind to be negative toward God, let me give you one example. There's a man that the Lord told me a witness to him. At CC's one time, some of you know the story, but I went up to talk to him, and he was, he was upset with God or something. I could tell he was angry and irritated with me, and I said, I said look, I said, do you, you got something against God or something? And he said, well, he said, I just think he, he runs things like an, you know, like an ant farm or whatever. He doesn't really care. And I said, well, why do you say that? And see, here recently, he said his wife was, was giving birth to their, to their son, and both of them died. And so he blamed God. And I told him, I said, well, I'm pretty sure that your wife and daughter would not want you to go to hell over what the devil did. I said, Jesus taught us that Satan has come to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to have life and life, give life and life more abundantly. So don't blame God for what the devil did. And I'm sure that your, your wife and son or daughter or whatever doesn't want you to go to hell over it. And he just was shocked. I mean, he had never thought of it that way because the accuser of the brethren had already convinced his mind that God murdered his wife. And if he would have stayed on that line of thinking, he would have probably ended up in hell, hating God the whole way, blaming God for something God had nothing to do with. If the devil can come in as an accuser, and another thing is the devil tries to accuse people to your mind and put these negative thoughts in your head about other people. But, you know, and the thing I've seen is people being cynical. It's like negative, like expecting the worst out of people instead of the best, you know? And there's something about that where there's these negative thoughts and this negative view about people, churches and ministries. And the accuser of the brethren is, is rampant in the end times. That's why the, it's, it, Satan is revealed that way in the book of Revelation. Because think about how many people right now in America have a very cynical, negative view about preachers and churches because of what a few have done. But if you were to count every, every spirit filled, but every minister in America, and then, then count the ones that have fallen in connection to that, you're looking at, you know, hundreds of thousands of people and maybe a hundred. You see what I'm saying? I mean, the ratio is, but because the accuser of the brethren, they can only see the negative. And they focus on those few. And their whole mentality is, oh, they're a bunch of hypocrites, they're a bunch of fakes, they're only in it for the money, all this stuff. And, and they're blinded by what? The accuser. And let them keep going down that road of thinking, and they're going to be out of church, away from God, and possibly end up in hell. Do you see how this works? And Satan will even accuse you to yourself, and that's why some people live in a perpetual guilt trip. 
because something has jumped on their back and is feeding them, telling them that you're no good, you'll never amount to anything, and always bringing up past sins. But listen, what does the Bible say? This is why I'm telling you, you can't give that real estate to the devil. Don't do it. Don't surrender that to him. What does the Bible say? Renew your mind with the scriptures. It says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And he even says in other places, he separates it as far as the east is from the west. And there's another place, casting into a sea of forgetfulness. So you've got to renew your mind with the scriptures and realize that that's the accuser accusing you and trying to make you live guilty and defeated. Because you can't move forward and do something for God if you're sitting around feeling like garbage. If somebody sits around and feels unworthy, who am I to ever do anything for God? God can't use me. I'm a, a piece of garbage. I can't even get this thing right. That's exactly how the devil wants you to feel. Because he knows if you'll ever shake that off and believe God's word, that you can do anything that God says you can do. The second thing is a religious spirit. A religious spirit is deadly. It has to do with legalism. Okay? Criticism. There's a spirit out there. It's a religious spirit. And it comes in the way. Listen, the Antichrist spirit, Christ means the anointed one. The holy and anointed one. It's not Jesus' last name. It's his title. Okay, listen. Christ. So, the Antichrist spirit is an anti-anointing spirit. Get this. The Antichrist spirit is one of the primary spirits that comes against revivals. It's an anti-anointing spirit. And it is a religious spirit. So the Pharisees of Jesus' day had an Antichrist spirit. They hated Jesus, the Christ, and they wanted to kill the Christ. They were anti-Christ. You hear me? But yet they were religious. How does it work? See, they had a form of godliness but denied the power. They were the ones that prayed and fasted for the Messiah to come. And when he was staring in their face, they said that he was a false prophet and a demon-possessed psycho, basically, that, that was some sorcerer. The religious spirit blinds people to the reality of Christ. The religious spirit is full of legalism and traditions of men. And it has a lot to do with fault-finding and criticizing other people. You can Google any – listen, you're not going to be able to be Googled until you get anointed. And then when you Google your name, what are you going to see? You're going to see criticism about you. Because the Antichrist spirit, the anti-anointing spirit says, oh, there's an anointed one. Go after him. I remember reading this, this list. This guy, this guy wrote a book. He's an Antichrist spirit. But – it was just hating revivals and just, you know. And he had this list of people that he was just ripping to shreds and tearing apart. And um, I remember reading that list and said, I would love to be in this guy's book. <laughs> <laughs> if he hates me as much as these guys, I must really be anointed, you know. <laughs> it's an antichrist spirit, man. Adultery. Listen, during revival, David, David was used so powerfully of God. I'm going to tell you, this is a real story. I think a lot of times people read the Bible like it's a fairy tale. This happened. A man after God's own heart had somebody murdered and committed adultery. Don't think for a moment that you're better than King David or I am. He was a man of God. And he loved God. And in many, many ways he was very faithful. But he let his guard down. 
It says during the time of war, when he should have been active and he should have been busy in war, he was at home. And next thing you know, he took his guard down. He was relaxed, and he's in adultery. So during revival, during the move of God, don't let your guard down. Okay? And guard against that. Guard against the sexual attacks of the enemy trying to seduce people because these seducing spirits try to get people, even in private, into pornography, you know, something secretive. They try to seduce people. The Bible says in, in 1 Timothy 4, 1, I believe, that in the end times there would be seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. The seducing spirits can be sexual, and they try to seduce people into things. Okay? Don't allow yourself to slide into that deception. And let me just say this. That's one of the reasons why, and you guys can help with this, but we have a lot of blankets and things and, and stuff that can be covered. But that's why we try to cover people, and we always have, that fall out and, and it's inappropriate. Maybe their shirt comes up or something. Because I don't want anything going on here that's going to cause lust. You hear what I'm saying? And so y'all can help with that. If something's like that, throw a blanket over the person. You know. And, uh, and number two, they don't want to be like that either. They don't want people looking at them. You know, they're trying to receive from God. And so we want to do everything we can to keep things holy. And one of the things that's been, I, I forgot about this because it's been so established here for so long, but I always told people, make sure, women, make sure if you're in leadership that you dress modestly and carry yourself decently. You know, not in a way that's seductive or trying to get an ungodly attention toward you. And the, the women here, godly women, have always uh, submitted to that and, and wanted to do that because they love Jesus and love his word. But, see, that's the thing. You don't want anything going on that can cause other people to fall. You don't want to be a stumbling block to others. Okay? And be careful how you pray for people. Those of you that are going to be laying hands on people and praying, be careful how you do it. Because if you're not, if you're not careful, the accuser of the brethren may try to put thoughts in somebody else's head negative about you. You know, where, where are your hands and what are you doing? Keep it. I know that you mean it holy, but the Bible says live above reproach. You, in your mind, in your heart, it's like I'm holy, I'm doing what's right. But make sure that, that you're living above reproach, that you're not doing something without thinking about it that somebody could accuse you. And I heard about this, this, uh, this guy one time was praying for somebody, and there wasn't anything wrong with what he was doing. I mean, he was just standing there with his hand on the, the woman's head praying. That's it. But the husband was so jealous, he was like, I don't want that person touching my wife. I don't want them standing that close to my wife and all this stuff. It's like, okay, man, you know. But see, there's people out there like that. Their, their mind is in the gutter or they're jealous. And you've got to be aware of that when you're ministering under the anointing that you just keep it not just holy but above slander, above reproach, where somebody's not going to be able to say something, okay? And um, I'll get into it later as well, some things I was going to say there. But the, the next thing is idolatry. Listen, the children of Israel came out with Moses, great signs and wonders. It was a move of God. It was a revival. God delivered them. The blood represented blood salvation. The, the water they went through the Red Sea represented water baptism. And God was doing awesome things. But as soon as they come out and they get out in the wilderness and Moses disappears for 40 days, hearing from God about the law, they make a golden calf. 
And many scholars believe sort of dancing naked around it like the rituals of Egypt. And here they are carrying on. And God knew what they were doing. Moses didn't. Bless his heart. He was just up there writing things down and listening. And God says to Moses, you better get down there and go get those people that you brought up out of Egypt before I destroy them. And Moses said, far be it, Lord, don't destroy them, you know. And he starts pleading with him. And, and he reminds God, he says, Lord, you, you brought them out of Egypt. But God was so angry, he said, no, Moses, you brought them out of Egypt. And you better get away from them because I'm about to fry them. <laughs> You can read it for yourself. It's kind of funny. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord calmed down and, you know, forgave him. But listen, I'm going to tell you, don't think for a minute that, that deception and idolatry can't creep in. Be careful about idols. Revival, different things can become idols. The move of God, the revival, worship, anything, people, churches, ministries, good things can become an idol. The Lord said, have no other gods before me. He's supposed to be number one, and that's it. Okay? And don't allow deception to come in. The next thing is rebellion. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram rebelled against Moses, number 16. And Jude, it talks about slandering celestial beings or slandering dignitaries. I'll explain that in a moment. But listen, we've got to guard against rebellion and keep a humble, submissive heart. Please hear me. Because... You may think, if you're not careful and you get into rebellion, you may think to yourself, I'm justified. And there's a false sense of freedom in rebellion. You know what I mean? You think you're free, but you're not. And the thing is, once somebody gets in rebellion, there's a flow of the anointing that starts with headship. It starts with Jesus, and it goes down headship. Remember Psalm 133? Aaron's head, down the beard, down. The anointing flows down. If you are in a, a chain of command where you're submitted to authority, the anointing flows all the way down to you and through you. But when you get in rebellion, the anointing is cut off from you. You've come out from under that waterfall of God's blessing and anointing. It's not God that did it. It's you that got in rebellion and walked out from under that blessing, that covering. Does that make sense? It's like a pipe. There's a flow of the anointing and God's blessing. But when we rebel, we get out from under it. So listen. You don't know that you're submissive until you're told no. You don't really know that you're submissive to authority until you're told no. Because if you just do, if if you go up to an authority figure and say, "Can I do this?" and and, and you want to do it, and they say, "Yeah," you know, or they come up to you and they say, "Hey, can you do this for me?" and you and you wanted to do it anyway, that's not submission. It's whenever you want to do something with all your heart, and the authority says no. And then, that, then we're all, everybody's going to know if you're rebellious or submissive right there. It's going to come up. Okay. And then also is whenever you don't want to do something, but you're told to do it anyway. <laughs> Listen, before you pastor, those that are called to ministry, you're going to be tested in this area. Because, I mean, I've been through it. I've been tested in this area. You're gonna, God will even put something on your heart, and you'll, you'll feel so spiritual. And you'll feel... God gave me this, I'm telling you. And then, and then the authority figure's like, no. And then you've got to submit. And that was God testing you. Okay? That's one of the reasons why, listen, as things keep moving forward, there's a reason why we have prayer badges and we have certain people designated to lay hands. Some of you that are new, hear me. The Bible says clearly 
did not lay hands hastily on people. There can be, when, when people are laying hands, there's a transference. It's an impartation. It can be of God, but if that person is somebody that's not of God for some reason, there can be a transference that you don't want. But either way, there's going to be a transference. And so you've got, I'm trying to protect people and have things set in place because I'm real careful about who I let lay hands on people. Because I want to know their life and know that they live holy. You know? And you don't want somebody slipping in. You know, a lot of these big meetings is when people that Sandy and I personally know, especially because of her testimony, that have come out of witchcraft and such, that when they when they were in that, they, they would go to these big meetings and try to pray for people. And they were witches. And they did it deliberately to transfer things into their lives. You know, it's like, why would that even surprise anybody? I mean, this is a battle and a war, and it's kind of common sense that the devil would try things like that. That's just common sense. And so we need to have safeguards in place that we know who's laying hands and who's doing what, and that it's of God, and people are protected, okay? But we've got to make sure and stay under authority. And there's been other moves of God that have been hindered by that very issue. They let just anything go. There's been some revivals, and listen, God may have moved in all that, but it, it wasn't on a real significant level. But they let just anybody lay hands on anybody, and the revival didn't last very long. I believe with all my heart that grieves God, because you can see in the book of James that there's a pattern there where James said, if somebody's sick, have the elders lay hands on them. And then where, where Paul told Timothy, who was his spiritual son and a pastor he of a church he planted, he said, Timothy, don't lay hands hastily on people, okay? There's something about having tested people that, that live holy, know the word, and know what they're doing, going through and laying hands on people, okay? All right, another thing is witchcraft control, a Jezebel spirit. A personal, personal hatred of mine is the Jezebel spirit. Wrote a book on it. I hate the devil so bad, all right? Anyway, so Revelation 2.20. Revelation 2.20 says, I have this against you, and read the whole thing, but I have this against you, tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and by her teaching misleads my servants into sexual immorality and food sacrifice to idols. There's the Jezebel spirit right there. So, listen, it's take way too long to even go into it, but the Jezebel spirit has to do with manipulation and control. People that want to come in and they want to push their weight around because they got money or something, and, and they, they want to... Because they have money. Now, I've heard people say this, and it was everything I do keep from laughing out loud. They, they say, well, I tithe and I, I give this amount, and I should have a say-so. It's like, are you kidding me? I'm the pastor. I don't even have a say-so. You know who has a say-so? Jesus has a say-so. You know, they think just, and so they want to push their weight around. They want to manipulate and control people. Okay? Watch out for that. It seems to traffic for some reason. In intercessory and prophetic circles. I don't know why. But that Jezebel spirit, it, it's rampant. And it's the spirit that tries to lead rebellion against pastors and church leaders and split churches. And many of you already know a lot about this subject anyway. But here's some things belittling male authority, trying to manipulate, trying to intimidate. You ever been around somebody that's always trying to be in control? It's annoying, isn't it? And they, and they want to manipulate everybody, and they, or they want to intimidate. How I many of you have known somebody that tries to make everybody afraid of them so they can control them? 
As the Bible calls that witchcraft. You know, you can read Webster's and it has to do with casting spells and all that. Yeah, that's part of it. But you know why somebody puts a spell on somebody? To control them. The biblical definition of witchcraft is basically controlling other people. Witchcraft prayers. There was this, I almost said something else. There was this woman that, that wanted, she really felt that God spoke to her that the pastor's wife was not the right wife for him. And so her intercessory job now is to pray for this woman's death. And so she began to pray for this. Listen, this is a true story. This is witchcraft 101, pure and simple, man. She's in her praying for the pastor's wife to die. The pastor's wife got sick. The pastor finally, through prayer and fasting, discerned what was going on. They ousted the lady, praise God. It broke that curse, and the wife made a full recovery. But she was sick the whole time that woman was there. That's witchcraft. All right. And also you can see rebellion when wives won't submit to their husbands. And children will not honor and obey their parents. That's rebellion and witchcraft. God has an order in the home. Amen? And that's how Jezebel gets in is with rebellious kids and wives that won't obey their husbands and also husbands that rebel against God's authority because husbands are supposed to be leading their families in the ways of God. And husbands that are not doing that, that are rebelling against that authority, they're also falling under that same trap. Okay? All right, evil men. Nehemiah. Listen, if you've never read Ezra and Nehemiah, you need to read it. There's some parts in it that are actually kind of funny at times. I would think if I knew Nehemiah and I lived back then, I would think Nehemiah was a cool guy, okay? We'd be friends. We'd be going to Starbucks together. <laughs> but I, I was reading about Nehemiah, and this guy named Sanballat and Tobiah, the whole, time, the whole time he's trying to build the wall, doing what God told him to do, the whole time, Sanballat and Tobiah are making fun of him. They're threatening his life. They're sending letters to the king negative about him. They are just giving him the devil. And it was so bad that Nehemiah told the man, listen, this is how bad it was. He said, you work with one hand with a trowel, and you're building the wall, and you have your sword on, and you have your hand, your left hand on the sword, and be ready. Because these guys are trying to stir up so much trouble. Let me tell you, Satan tries to bring in evil men. I could tell you some creepy stories, even in this church, that people just came out of nowhere. And I'm like, and, you, and then when I researched the whole thing, it was just creepy how they even came here in the first place. They were sent by the devil, okay? So, send out Tobiah, Nehemiah, but they, they, they really were. Though. But anyway, so send out Tobiah. Tobiah ended up, Nehemiah comes back from being out of town. You can read the story. I'm just paraphrasing it. He goes into the inner chamber of the temple, and some, some goofy priest had given Tobiah his own bedroom. In the temple. Is anybody else letting this get? I mean, can you imagine how angry Nehemiah was? Nehemiah, I think, lost his temper. But, you know, this, we have to forgive him. He goes in there and snatches Tobiah and physically throws him out. <laughs> he lands on the ground. Gets all this stuff and throws it out and kicks him out, runs him out. And then he rebukes the priest for doing that. Listen, sometimes the devil will try to, to slip in some people that are, that are of the devil that were sent by the devil. And I'm going to tell you, they may be people, because the devil's not stupid, trust me. He, he knows to send certain people. They may be people that seem real promising, or there's things about them. You know, a lot of times I've heard preachers tell some of the worst scary stories about there was a need in the church. You know, when there's a need, 
And then the devil sent somebody, and they thought, oh, well, this person will meet the need. And next thing you know, that church went through pure hell because of that person. I've heard a lot of stories like that. You can never base things on just because there's a need or whatever. You, you have to be led by the Spirit because the devil knows the needs, and they'll, they might try to send somebody in specifically to meet that need, but at the same time it carries with it a curse. we got to have discernment. Gedalia, bless his heart, talking about betrayal and passivity. Jeremiah 40, he was made the governor after the exile. You know, they came back, and he was made the governor over Israel. And there was a man that came up to Gedalia and said, said, listen, there's this guy named Ishmael that's trying to assassinate you. And Gedalia said, oh, no, he's not, and ignored it. It went but a few days later until he was dead. Listen, God sometimes will send warnings. And listen, we cannot be passive about the warnings of the Lord. And we need to take things serious. Because I've, I've even had to talk um, with some people about warning about things. Listen, sometimes there's trouble lurking in the shadows. There are certain people that they have their good points, but there's something about them. And you've got to keep an eye on them. God will deal with them. But sometimes I have to warn my leadership about certain people. All right. But don't be passive. Don't take warnings lightly. Listen. Because if, you give the, if the person's a devil and you give them opportunity, it's going to cause a lot of pain and suffering for a lot of people, including themselves. Another thing is man worship. Gideon's ephod. Watch out. Gideon was used powerfully by God, but the children of Israel, what do they want to do? It seems like people are always wanting to make idols. And they wanted to worship Gideon. Gideon wouldn't let them, and so they built an ephod, and they worshiped the ephod. And it was a snare. Gideon allowed it. It was a snare to his family. But listen, during revival, God will come upon people powerfully. He will use people in extraordinary ways. And I'm about to close this thing out talking about Paul and his greatest revival. God used Paul in extraordinary ways. But let me tell you, do not fall into the deception of worshiping man, anybody. Because anybody that is used of God is just that. They're just being used of God. You know, if you're thirsty, you want water. You don't talk about how great the hose is. See, a person is just like a water hose. The, okay, God flows through the person. Okay, you don't, you don't worship the hose. You just drink the water. Truthfully, some people do that. You have to guard against man worship because somebody can be used very powerfully by God. And next thing you know, people are, oh, you know. And I'm going to tell you, one of the people I love so much about this is Benny Him because people have tried to worship him, and he has rebuked them. But there were some people, even when they're on the platform, he's told them they'd be like, you healed me. And he's like, no, no, Jesus healed me, okay. And he's always correcting them. See, when people are used powerfully by God, they always try to look at the person. You've got to look past the person and look at Jesus. Now, I love how Brother Benny in the meetings I've been in, he, he, always says, he always says, I couldn't heal a fly if I wanted to. With all my heart, if I wanted to heal the fly, I couldn't heal the fly. He said, if somebody gets healed today, it's Jesus healing them. Okay? He's always pointing people to Jesus and glorifying him. <coughs> Make sure you do that. Because Peter, one time they tried to worship him, and Peter rebuked the guy and says, stand up, I'm a man just like you. 
Another thing is watch out for greed and the love of money, covetousness. Second Kings 5, Gehazi, Elijah's servant. This man, listen, if Elisha got Elijah's mantle on the double portion, what could Gehazi have gotten? Could he have gotten a double portion? Could he have gone further than Elisha? We'll never know. Because Gehazi, first opportunity that arose, Naaman the leper shows up, and he's wealthy. And he, but you know, and, and Elisha said, go dip in the Jordan or whatever, and you'll be healed. And whenever he came back, he tried to give money to Elisha. And Elisha said, no, I'm not going to receive money for what God did for you. And whenever he left, Gehazi, the servant, looked at Elisha and said, I'll, I'll be right back. It runs after the guy and says, hey, that offering you want to give my master said, well, yeah, we'll take it. And as soon as he took the offering, what happened? The same leprosy that was on Naaman came on him. Listen, watch out for covetousness. It's a, there's a spirit about it, okay? Another thing is church scandals usually revolve around money and sex, right? Most church scandals revolve around money and sex. And in this ministry, this has been here so long that, it, you know, I haven't even thought about saying it lately, but the leadership, you're not to be alone with the opposite sex. No good thing can come from that. Okay, the only thing that can come from it is somebody saying something happened that didn't happen, you know. So make sure that you're not alone with the opposite sex. And we're always real careful about that here. And that alone right there can kill about 90% of the lies. Do you know how many ministers have been set up by people? And they were, they were totally innocent. But somebody said that they touched them or did something, and they really didn't. But who's going to believe it? It's his word against theirs. And they get, they're going to face that now, you see. And also, we have checks and balances in place financially to protect people from being slandered. Okay, And the leadership knows about it. Paul's greatest revival took place in Ephesus. Listen, you guys should do a study on this over this next week, okay? Paul's revival in Ephesus. In 1 Corinthians 16, 8, and 9, I'm going to read this real fast. <clears throat> I'm closing with this story about Paul because this is amazing. 1 Corinthians 16, 8-9. He said, I will stay on in Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work is open to me and there are many who oppose me. Listen, every great effective door is going to have great opposition. Did you see that? He said, there's a great door for effective work that is open to me, and there are many who oppose me. Paul knew that the great, a great effective door for a great harvest and a great revival, which is what took place, would also have great opposition. But Paul's greatest revival took place in Ephesus. Acts chapter 19, read it for yourself. Even when he was entering Ephesus, there was people that he met, and he said, did you receive the Spirit? since you believed. And right there, you know, they accepted the Lord, got baptized in the Holy Spirit, even his entrance into Ephesus. And let me tell you what happened. Paul was going along, and he had his ministry ready for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He was ready. And whenever God started moving, he smelt that rain. Is everybody hearing me? He knew something's up here. And so he wrote to the Corinthian church, he said, hey, listen, I'm going to stay on in Ephesus till Pentecost because there's a great door and effective work that's open to me. He smelt the rain. 
He knew the wave was breaking, and he got positioned to ride the wave. He was ready. And if you read the story in Acts chapter 19, he talked about all, he was there for two years. All of that area, all of that whole region heard the word of God. There were great converts. In fact, it was such a powerful move of God that the church of Ephesus was planted, whereby we got, you know, the letter written to them, the book of Ephesians. He planted a church, put a pastor over it. There was great extraordinary miracles that took place through Paul there that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken to the sick, and when it touched them, they were healed. And if they had demons, the demons left them. Great signs and wonders. So many demons were coming out of people that even the seven sons of Sceva and a Jewish chief priest heard about it and said, well, let's try doing what Paul does. And you know the story. That didn't go good for him. But, but it was so powerful, the move of God, that it said people brought their witchcraft scroll and all their magic arts, their garbage, and brought it and burned it there. Broke the power of witchcraft. And it said that after they did that, the word of God began to spread. Read it for yourself. The word of God began to spread more because it broke something over that, that region. That move of God was so powerful that it broke the power of a principality over that region. And God poured out his spirit and did awesome things there. First Corinthians fifteen thirty two it talks about if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? What did Paul mean when he said I fought wild beasts in Ephesus? He didn't put on his uh, his wrestling outfit, okay, and jump in the ring with with a bear or something. That's not what happened. He was talking about he was talking about fighting principalities and powers. And every time Brother Kilpatrick says it, I laugh. I don't know why. It just cracks me up. But see, there's some demons that are powerful, and they're more powerful than others, and they're they're like principalities and powers. And Brother Kilpatrick always calls them bull demons. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just funny. And he's serious about it too. He's like, sometimes you come up against bull demons, you know. But listen, that's what that's what Paul faced in Ephesus. He faced some bull demons. Okay. That's what he's talking about when he said, I wrestled wild beasts in Ephesus. I'm going to close this out right here. Sometimes, like in Nazareth, Jesus' hometown, when men of God are not honored, God will remove them from that area. And God won't do much. But also, God can bring in a harvest where the harvest has not come in. You remember the story when Jesus went out there and he asked him, he said, Hey guys, have you guys caught any fish? And they said, No. He said, cast a net on the other side. And they caught such a miraculous catch, they couldn't even get it in the boat. Look, if Jesus speaks, you can be laboring in an area for a year. And, and Paul, look, he had already come through those areas, I believe, before that. Okay? But when it was the timing of the Lord, it was like the Lord looked out to Paul's ministry and said, Hey, Paul in Ephesus, throw your net on the other side of the boat and see what I do this time. You hear what I'm saying? Acts 19 was the greatest revival in Asia. Great deliverances, witchcraft defeated, great, or greatest revival during that time. Sorry, A powerful church established, but Revelation 2, 1 through 7, the warnings to Ephesus. You should read that on your own about neglecting your first love. 
things like that, which has to do with communion, which I've talked about. But read Revelation 2, 1 through 7, the warning. Also, what does the book of Ephesians, Paul wrote to this church he planted, what does it talk a lot about? Warfare. Ephesians 6, the armor of God. But here's mistakes that have been made in history by different moves of God. Discipleship was not in place. Or giving in to the temptation to control, contain, or make the revival a denomination. Many have done that. They try to control or contain the revival or make it a denomination. Many revivals also fall short because they neglect to honor those that have gone before us. But the Bible says to honor your fathers and mothers. That all may go well for you in your life and be long on the earth. One of the reasons why I believe the Brownsville Revival had such a link to it was because Brother Steve always honored the spiritual fathers of the faith that had gone before, that had revivals like William Seymour and others. He always honored the fathers of the faith. That's what we did last week. We honored and blessed Israel, but we will remember the sermon. I honored the, the revivalists of the past and honored the last couple decades, the move of God that's been going on. And as we honored that, it released something new, an increase. So honoring the fathers, honoring the move of God. Another thing is, because revival spread uncontrollably like a forest fire, there's a temptation to try to control them. Don't fall, okay, so don't try to control it. Another thing is, there's a ditch on either, either side of the road, lawlessness or legalism. Some people get into lawlessness where they start compromising. And they let sin in. And then other people get into legalism, which is a bondage. In the middle is Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? You go down the road, the path of life, okay, you can fall into lawlessness or legalism on either side. But rather stay in the path of righteousness and truth. Truth. Few men in history have been able to find the delicate balance between letting the Lord use them or using the Lord. Evan Roberts was driven by the conviction to only let God have all the glory. William Seymour, though great in humility, was even more interested in keeping the hands of men off revival just because of his hunger to see God move. Both these things are needed. Everybody hear that? Both these are needed. We've got to tenaciously make sure that the Lord get all the glory. But another thing is, is we've got to keep men's hands off the revival. The tendency of a lot of people is to try to control the move of God and try to manipulate things. And you've got to keep all that off. But if you'll make sure to do your part to keep unity, to not get religious, to stay pure, stay pure sexually, guard against it. Don't let idolatry come in. Don't let rebellion creep in. Stay under authority. You stay under authority, God will raise you up. You know, what does the Bible say? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due season, he will exalt you. Come under authority. Don't let witchcraft control come in. Watch out for evil men or betrayal, passivity, or man worship, or the love of money. These are areas where in past times we can read about in, in revival in the Bible where things have been really hindered because of this. And let me tell you, one of the reasons why I believe God has poured out his spirit here is because we have, I want to show a clip here in a moment. We have stood against sin. There's been sometimes people that have gotten, <clears throat> gotten into sin 
sexual sin or something, we've had to deal with it. Listen, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, they had to deal with somebody. Remember? It said that such immorality was listed not even